You've probably heard a saying like this before. You can take the boy out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the boy. And there is a fundamental truth in that. When I was living in the Midwest for about seven years, first in Chicagoland and then in Fort Wayne, where we're going to send the gift cards. When I was living in the Midwest, I never really felt at home. I traveled around a lot. I was also in Pennsylvania for a year. But I grew up in Arkansas, and I never really felt back at home in those northern, colder, more snowy states. I never really felt at home there until I came back here, three hours away from where I grew up by drive. And I feel much more at home here, much less homesick here than I did when I was up there. There's a fundamental truth to that, that your source, where you are from, your genesis, to use a biblical term, has a great deal to do with your identity. In some ways, it has everything to do with your identity. Where you are is, in some ways, who you are. Where you're from is some ways, in some ways, who you are. Where you're from, who you are, they are connected. And your genesis, your origin, your source, where you're from, it doesn't just have to do with geographical roots. It doesn't just have to do with growing up in a certain place, but also things like your biological roots. We could also say that where you're from as being part of your identity. You can take the boy away from the father, but you can't take the father out of the boy. That would also be true. You know this is true if you are a father or if you're a son. And if the son has ever thought it would be funny at the dinner table to do an impression of the way that his father talks, and it is always eerily almost annoyingly, but also humorously accurate. That the son can always imitate the father, even if it has been a long time since he heard him talk. Your roots, your source, your genesis, they are part of who you are. The first thing that John reminds us in his epistle today, in chapter 3, is that we are not just children of earthly parents and not just having roots in an earthly home, in an earthly geographical place, but that we have, as Christians, by the Father's love, a new, a different kind of genesis. We have another Father, our Father in heaven, and we have... A different home, a heaven, away from this place. We have a new source. We are called, he says, now children of God. And having that new source, that changes who we are. Having a different genesis, that changes our identity. And it means that we are not at home. We are, like I was in the Midwest, a little bit, all the time, Homesick. This world is not our home. Yet, John will go on to show us 
that while we are here, while we are away from home, while we are living in these tents, our earthly bodies, a temporary shelter, he will give us, he will provide us everything that we need. But before we get to that, let's think a little bit more about this question of identity, who we are. And the source of identity John addresses in those first couple words, something John likes to talk about. He says, see what kind of love the Father has for us. See what kind of love this is. It's the same thing he says in probably the most famous Bible verse, John 3, 16, his gospel chapter 3, not his epistle chapter 3 that we're reading right now, but his gospel chapter 3, for God so loved the world in this way. This is the kind of love that he has. God so loved the world that, that word that means in this way, that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever so shall believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It is a kind of love that is sacrificial. And sacrificial, merciful love is a kind of love so different than the love that we see by sinful nature in this world. The world does not, by its prideful way of thinking, think to sacrifice, think to have mercy. It is a kind of love that can only come from the sovereign God's mercy. A God who is set apart from us, a God who is different than us. Christianity is the only religion with this kind of love. Every other religion, you can go out and you can look them all up, every other religion teaches that you must do something. That it cannot be based on mercy alone, that it cannot be based on God's grace alone, that you have to do something to earn your way into heaven, to be called a child of God, if you get to be called that at all. That is also unique to Christianity. But even to be saved, to get into heaven, you have to do something. This kind of love is different. This kind of love is based on God's action, his love, his mercy alone, that he would take the action, he would send his son, his son would die so that you would not perish. It's that kind of sacrificial love. No other religion has that. It's a mercy, a love of the cross. The cross to the world, as Paul says, looks like foolishness. Who would think that a bloody man hanging on a piece of wood could save? To the Jews, it's a stumbling block. How could that be their Messiah? But for you, it is his love. But beyond that unimaginable, sacrificial cross type of love beyond that not only does he save us from damnation it would be enough theoretically for him to simply save us for him to simply say your sins are forgiven and now you don't have to go to hell forever and that would be enough but beyond that he goes so far not just to save us but to bring us then to himself To call us not just his saved people, but his children. 
What kind of love is this? What kind of love is this that would call us, that would bring us into his divine fellowship? That would call us his own children? What kind of love is this that he would bring us so close to himself that we could talk to him? That we could pray to him just like a little child is unafraid to go and ask their father for anything they need and expect an answer. And expect not just an answer, but a good answer, an answer that will love them, an answer that will protect them, an answer that will guide them. What kind of love is this that we should be called his children? That we can pray to him, that we can be in his family, that his son would be our brother, that we would receive the inheritance of the firstborn. What kind of love is this? And that kind of love gives us a hope today beyond all comparison. On All Saints Day, today, when you are thinking about your loved ones who have gone before you, who have passed on, fallen asleep in Christ, who have experienced the physical death on this earth and are now with Christ in eternal bliss, when you're thinking about them today, think about this kind of love that they also had. Paul says it this way in 1 Thessalonians 4, this kind of love gives us a hope that causes us not to grieve like the pagans. Not to grieve like those who do not have this kind of hope, who do not have this kind of love. We do not grieve as those, he says, who have no hope. Because we have this love, because he has brought us close to him, and he has brought our loved ones who have fallen asleep in him close to him, we have hope. A hope beyond comparison, a hope that does not put us to shame. And that love and that hope and that faith, the faith, hope, and love we have in him, that is now your, and now all the saints, identity. Where you're from has everything to do with who you are. Because he has loved you in this way and called you his child, you are now fully his. In your baptism, you were born again into his family. He is your father from above. You are his child. You can pray to him. You can call him our father. Christ is now your brother. You have his inheritance of eternal life. It is now yours so that you would live with your father and with your brother forever. In your baptism, you receive the spirit in your heart, the spirit that every time you pray intercedes for you, calling out to the father who has loved you so much. This is your identity. You walk this, you breathe this. Everything about your life is now wrapped up in being God's child. Every breath you take is a breath, a gift from him. Every piece of ground you walk on is his ground that he created, and it is holy for you. Every person that you talk to is a person for whom your brother also died. Every dollar that you spend is a gift from God for you to steward. Every suffering that you suffer and every trial that you go through, your brother also suffered and was tempted just like you were, yet without sin. 
Every prayer that you pray, the Spirit intercedes for you. Your identity, everything in your life, your entire being, every fiber in your being, every hair on your head that your God has numbered, it is all yours as God's child. And because that is your identity, you are not at home in this world. John goes on to say a seemingly random thing here at the end of verse 1. The reason that the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Why is he talking about the world and about if we know the world or not? It is because where we're from, being children of God, the love that the Father has given to us, that changes our identity and that makes us not at home with the world. It makes us feel as strangers in this world. And I can see that in a few ways. When I have ministered to saints who are getting ready to leave this temporary home, when they are on their deathbeds or when they're getting close to being on their deathbeds, I can tell you this, that they, in some ways, oftentimes, are ready to leave. And the reason they are ready to leave, the reason they say that they don't want to be here anymore and they're ready to go and be with their Lord is because they know that this place is not their home. Of course, in those times, we pray for God's will to be done and for his timing to be done. It is God who numbers our days and God who gets to determine how many breaths we take in this life. But it is a blessed thing for the saints in God to prepare to leave this place and take their departure home. Because they know in their spirit that this was not their home. They know in their spirit that this world was never where they were meant to be forever. It becomes a lot clearer when someone gets closer to death that they know they can't be here forever. They stop thinking so pridefully that they are invincible and that they will be here forever. And they start to think eternally. And they know that this world did not know them, does not know them, as intimately, as closely as God, our Father, who has had the love for us and called us his children, knows them. Only he knows the number of hairs on their head. Even your spouse does not know that, but God does. Even he knows the number of breaths that they will take. God knows that. Even he knows the number of steps that anyone will take on this earth. Only he knows, and they get to be with him who knows them so well. The second way that I've seen how we are strangers on this earth is the way that John likes to use the term world. If you look back in his gospel in John 15 to 16, John uses the same idea of the world not knowing the church or the world not knowing the Christian or the world not knowing Christ extensively. And he's talking there about unbelievers who outrightly deny their Lord. He quotes Jesus, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me first. 
This is the unbelieving world who wants its passions so bad that they would rather serve mammon and power and put Jesus to death than accept him as their Messiah. These are the unbelievers who reject their Lord. And he says there specifically, and here specifically, that they did not know him. And when someone does not know Jesus, when they reject Jesus in this way, then they look at you, and you look at them, and there is a strangeness there. They may mock you for what you see as being true and obvious. As our culture becomes, in some ways, less and less Christian, you may feel this distance, this strangeness with the world even more. As Christians are more and more mocked and persecuted and shamed in society for basic Christian beliefs, you may feel this strangeness. Maybe you don't. Maybe you do. I don't know. You may feel this strangeness with the world even more. I heard it put this way recently, that when the world is insane, sanity looks like madness. And so maybe you do or maybe you don't. I do feel more and more like I'm going mad looking around the world every day. The world thinks I'm mad. I think they're mad. We are strangers with the world. The world hated Christ, so it's also going to hate you. It seems like fewer and fewer people see what you see so clearly to be obvious. They think it is not obvious. And so we are strangers with the world in this way as well. But I want to give you not just a sense of strangeness with the world today, although we have that. I want to give you two reasons on this Saints' Day to hope. To hope like the saints that have gone before us. To hope in the future of what we have that the saints have even now. For as you experience this strangeness in the world, and as you yourself prepare one day to depart from this world, whenever that may be, there are reasons John gives us here to hope. There are reasons and ways in which Christ gives us everything, absolutely everything, even in this strange world that we need. The first is what John emphasizes here, In verse 1 and verse 2, we should be called children of God, and so we are. And in verse 2, beloved, we are God's children now. We are God's children now. Go back to your identity. Who are you in Christ? Where are you from in God who has baptized you? who has loved you. And you have that identity and you have the gifts attendant to that identity, the blessings attendant to that covenant. You have those even now. Think of what you receive in Christ when you receive what the saints receive, fellowship with Christ. You have fellowship with Christ now even bodily fellowship in his body and blood. 
Think of what you receive in heaven, eternal peace, eternal hope, eternal happiness. You have peace that surpasses human understanding now. Is it hard to see sometimes? Yes, but it is yours in Christ. You have hope, a hope that does not put you to shame even now. It is yours in Christ. What will you have on the last day? You will be able to talk to your Lord face to face. You can talk to him in prayer even now. Beloved, we are God's children now. In fancy theological terms, we call this realized eschatology. Eschatology, the study of the last things, the study of when Jesus comes again. Realize those things exist in your life even now. And so hope in those things. Remember your identity. Remember the gifts that God gives you even now as you're waiting for that day to come. Those are the things that the saints relied on. The Lord's Supper, the word, the peace, the hope, the prayer. Those are the things that the saints that you're thinking about today, your loved ones who have fallen asleep in Christ. Those are the things that they relied on. You rely on them, too. The second reason to hope is this, is that that day is coming and those things will be brought to even more and more full fruition. What we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. All of those gifts in your identity, they will come to an even better Fullness on the day when Christ returns or on the day when you fall asleep in Christ and you are with him in eternal bliss, you will have those things in their fullness, not just bodily fellowship in the Lord's Supper, but you will be at the wedding feast, which has no end. The wedding feast, which is full, not just of bread and wine to get us through, but of every good gift that the lamb would give you. You will have the singing with the saints, not just here on Sunday mornings, but you will be singing eternally to your Lamb on the throne. Glory and blessing and honor and strength and might are his forever and ever. You will have the peace and the hope that you have now, but without the doubt of sin that plagues you now. You will have the bodily fellowship with him, seeing him face to face as he really is. You will have the divine participation that you have with him now as his child, but you will be even more like him because you shall see him as he is. Those things that which you have now, they will come to a greater fullness and you can hope in that. You can know what your family and friends who have passed before you have now, That beautiful glory, a host arrayed in white, they have it now. You will have it too one day whenever Christ decides. Where you're from is who you are. You are from your Father in heaven. His love has made you his child. And that love is so powerful to make you his child, not just here in this temporary home, but thereafter in eternity, that we cannot say what we said about the country boy, because it would not be true. We'd have to say it like this. You can't take the Christian 
out of God's love. And you can't take God's love out of the Christian either. To him be all the honor and glory, now and forever. Amen.